Good evening. Isn't technology great? But I got to be honest with you, it's not the best option. I was watching a video the other day of Bruce McClarty, who is the president at Harding University, and he did a, a great job of sharing some devotional thoughts. And one of the things that he said was that every night he FaceTimes with his granddaughter who lives in Montana. And every night after her bath, uh, they FaceTime and Bruce's wife sings a lullaby to her. And he talks about how wonderful it is to be able to share in those moments every evening. And where would we be without this technology? We wouldn't have those moments. But then at the same time, he says, but I also don't get to kiss her chubby cheeks. I don't get to hold her, embrace her. So there's this this longing that exists. Even though they get to see each other through technology, there's this longing that still exists. And I feel that way about the fact that we can't gather together, that we still get to see each other through you know, online devices and things of that nature, but I long for the time where we can come back together. I do want to say something before we go any further. While online resources are such a gift, uh, I have been somewhat disheartened by the number of individuals, of Christians, and even churches that have condemned those who cancel services or go to online services. I've even seen a, a rather condemning attitude and judgmental attitude towards those Christians who have decided to stay home and watch online rather than attend services at a church that is still holding them. And I've even seen Hebrews 10, 25 enter into the equation as they say it's a sin and you're forsaking the assembly when you don't get together with your fellow brothers or sisters during this time and I just want to say to you I hope that you don't feel guilty I hope that you understand that there is a difference between forsaking and missing you know I shudder to think what are our shut-ins our folks who can't get out week to week to come to services. I, I shudder to think what they must feel when they hear comments like that, or maybe even if they're on social media, if they read those. You know, we gather information, and based on that information that the experts give us, you know, we, we make the best decision possible. We try to comply with what our civic leaders are saying, what our president is saying, and, and what the CDC is saying. And, and so we make these decisions based on the best information that's there, but this is not about forsaking. There's a difference between forsaking and missing. This is not about abandoning. This is about filling in the gap and taking precautionary measures until we can be together again. And I hope that that is very soon. So what do we do in the meantime? You know, this world gets darker and darker, it seems. I'm not a doom and gloom kind of guy. I really love this world in a lot of ways. I love a lot of things about this world. I love my life, as I know many of you do. But I cannot deny that this world seems to get darker by the minute. There's tragedies, there, there's devastation and destruction and instability and unrest. And certainly the coronavirus is the latest wave in all of this. But there's, there's, there's waves that have come and gone. There are storms that have come and gone. And this is one that too will pass eventually. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 10, it reads like this. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Now, this is all a part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous sermon, and, and, and he's talking about the world's attitude towards those who choose to follow Jesus. And he's basically saying it's not going to be pretty, that the world is going to mock you, ridicule you, persecute you. To be a follower of Jesus might even mean death. However, discipleship is a glorious opportunity. It's a gift. It's a chance to shine the light of Christ in a dark world. Keep reading with me, verses 13 and following. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus is now shifting from the world's attitude towards disciples to disciples' attitude towards the world, at least what our attitude should be as Christ's followers. And the Bible refers to God is light. We established this morning that Jesus is the light of the world. And now Jesus says that we, as his followers, are lights of the world, or we are the light of the world. You think about this. You think about what a compliment it would have been to those hearing these words for the first time. And like we've talked about before, this is a very unpromising group of individuals who are sitting there listening to this. And to this ragtag group that barely belonged in society, Jesus is saying, you share in some way, shape, or form in the characteristics of, of God and Jesus. If God is light and Jesus is the light of the world and we are the light of the world, then that would mean that we share in some way in the image and the characteristics of God and Jesus. And it would also suggest that discipleship demands nothing less than being as much like Jesus and bearing his image in this world. So Jesus is shifting gears and he is talking about what it means for us to be disciples and what it means for us to carry ourselves in the world and how we should do so. And it reminds me of a story I read not long ago about a bunch of candles that were in a storage closet in someone's home. And there was a power outage. And so uh, the gentleman who lived in this home went to the storage closet to pull out these candles. And as the story goes, these candles could talk. And all of them had excuses for why they couldn't be lit and light up the darkness. One of them says that he needed more preparation, that he didn't want to start out by lighting anything until he had more time to prepare. He was studying about how he could be the best candle possible. He said that he was in a great study on wind resistance, that he had just listened to a podcast on wax buildup, and that he was getting ready to read a best-selling book called Waxing Eloquently. The second candle was too busy meditating. The second candle said that he was meditating on the importance of light and how he could be the best light possible, and he didn't want to be disturbed because he was trying to become more enlightened. The third candle claimed that he wasn't stable enough to be lit, that he was in fact very uh, unstable, that he's, he, he was not ready to light up a room just yet because his life was a mess. He said that his main problem was that he had a short temper and he thought that he was a hothead. Well, the fourth candle said that while he would like to help, that lighting the darkness really wasn't his thing. That he was a singer and he began bursting out into song and he said his job was to, was to uplift and encourage all of the other candles. And as he began to sing, uh, sing all the other candles, began to sing along with him. 
Finally, the husband got frustrated and he went to his wife and he said, where did you get these candles? They're not good for anything. And the wife said, oh, you remember the church that closed down the street? Yeah, that's, that's where I got them. They were giving them away. Imagine what would happen if we refused to shine our light. Imagine what would happen if we were to pick and choose when to shine our light, that we might shine it in some areas but not in others. Imagine, imagine if people decided, at least some, decided not to turn on their headlights at night while others did. Imagine the airport administrator deciding that he wasn't going to light the runway lights because he would rather save some money. Imagine a lighthouse operator decide, deciding to turn off the light in the lighthouse because it was attracting too many bugs. There could be tragic consequences for turning off the lights. Jesus says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. I mean, who puts a light under a basket? The whole purpose of lighting it is so that it would bring light into the darkness. Why would you even light a lamp in the first place if you were just going to throw something over it? Jesus says it's tragic when lights won't perform their task. A light is meant to be seen. That's their only task. Anytime light encounters darkness, it shines. And Christians should be like that. We should be like the, uh, the slogan for Motel 6, we'll leave a light on for you. That, that's us. We leave the light on for people. We let our light shine. We let it shine all the time. Let it shine. We often read this passage and, and really everything surrounding the Sermon on the Mount, and we, we almost look at it like a, like a checklist. You know, we see that these are some things that we need to aspire to, and if we can check them off the list, then we'll be good. But I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't talk about light or even salt, for that matter, which is also mentioned in this passage. He doesn't talk about these two things as if, you know, you carry around a salt shaker in your front pocket and you pull it out and you sprinkle a little here and there. He doesn't talk about light as if it's some sort of flashlight that you keep in your front pocket and you pull it out when necessary. No, he says you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. When you show up, that's what you are. You are light. I, I think all too often we read the Sermon on the Mount with appreciation, but not so much with application. And we read it and we say, you know, yeah, that, that sounds good. But are we aspiring to apply these things to our lives? Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, he is giving a description of a disciple. And he is saying, this is what a follower of mine looks like. This is, this is not things that we do. This is who we are. It's who we become so that when we show up at work, when we show up at school, when we show up at the family reunion, people look at us and they see something different. And they say, maybe I don't know what it is or I can't put my finger on it, but there's something different about you. This is not about agreeing with Jesus and then walking away. This is not about appreciation. This is about application. And these aren't just words to live by. This is a lifestyle that is being described. You can turn over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it reads, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. You notice he uses the word witness there, and that's a word that we don't often use in the church. I, I think perhaps because it's used by others in the denominational world, and for some reason we feel like we can't. But I think we need to stop avoiding words just because somebody who we may not agree with on everything uses it themselves. But you will notice 
that as Jesus talks about us being witnesses, and that's absolutely a scriptural concept, but he doesn't talk about us witnessing here. He's not talking about witnessing as if witness is a verb. He's talking about you are my witnesses. It's who you are. It's not something you do. It's, it's who you are. It permeates everything that you are. You know, whenever I travel to, a, to another city and maybe by myself or with my family, I, I get on my phone and I look up different places to eat. And with these different places to eat, there comes reviews. Maybe you've heard of the uh, crowdsourcing app called uh, Yelp. Yelp is a, is a crowdsourcing review company. And simply put, Yelp allows customers to leave reviews about a restaurant. You can give one star, which means it was really bad, or you can give five stars, that means it was amazing. After visiting a certain eatery, you can get online, you can leave your review, even make some comments and talk about the service or how the food tasted or whatever. And, and I think a lot of people are like me in that I, I use Yelp quite often to see what the reviews say because I'll make a decision a lot of times based on whatever the reviews are. If all the reviews are bad, then I probably won't go there. If all of them are good, then I probably will. And if they're somewhere in between, then I've got a decision to make. I think one of the things that Jesus would say to us as the church is, you are a walking Yelp review. Your life reflects what you believe. What you practice says a lot about God. It says everything about God and, and discipleship. We are a Yelp review for Christianity. We are a walking endorsement for faith. We are a living, breathing billboard for the church. And by the way, I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't say that we are cursors of darkness. I think sometimes we feel like that is our, our lot in life as a Christian, that that's what we are to be about, that that's our mission, that we are to curse the darkness. And I think some Christians, unfortunately, feel like it's their duty to fight against the darkness rather than fighting for a soul. The implication of Jesus's words, though, is clear. We light up the world and we seek to make a difference by the way that we carry ourselves. Your job is to light the darkness. The world is already condemned. So don't be angry for the world for being the world. The world's always been the world. Don't be angry at the world because they can't see what is obvious in you by so many, but rather shine your light. Be attractive. Seek to, to be a light that, you know, like the, like the porch light that attracts bugs or maybe the bug zapper that attracts the bugs and zaps them. You're not trying to zap anybody, but you're trying to bring people closer by shining the light of Christ. That's your job, not to curse the darkness. You know, as lights in the world, we have two major responsibilities. First of all, we must be visible. That's what light does. Light is visible, right? So Jesus expects his followers to be seen by the world. Our light should be bright when we're playing golf, when we're sitting in class, when we're stuck in traffic, when we're at the office, even when we're standing in line at the DMV. I know that's hard. It should be visible when we're watching a football or basketball game, or some other sporting event. It should be seen in our job when we're coaching Little League. There is never a time where it is justifiable to turn off our light. It is never Christian to be unchristian. Again, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You know, I've heard people say, and maybe you've heard it as well, I, I just don't really care what people think of me. I'm, I'm just who I am. And you know, folks, Christians don't have that luxury. We don't have the luxury to not care what people think of us. Now, sometimes you can't change someone's perception of you, no matter how hard you try, no matter how good you may be, or no matter how faithful you may be. But the very fact that Jesus 
is a light in the world and that he calls us to be a light in the world means that you have to concern yourself with your image and what you project. We will never make an impact if we are unwilling to be seen. Discipleship thrusts you into the spotlight. However, this isn't your light, and I think that's something we need to be clear on. You are not shining the light of yourself. I'm not shining the light of Chris. I'm shining the light of Christ. It is his radiance that pours through me. I am radiating him, and that brings me to the second of the twofold purpose for lights in the world, and that is we are to radiate You've heard me say it before, more people are watching your life than listening to my sermon. Will we mess up? Sure. Are we a perfect light? No. Will we be broken at times? Yes, absolutely. But even in our error, we can have influence. When we humbly repent, when we come and we confess our sin, when we ask for forgiveness from God, when others see us, striving to live a godly life and know that we do mess up, but when we do, we fix it, that can be a powerful influence as well. I've said it before, but the Bible is a book of failures. I mean, it really is. But over and over again, while we do see people fail in the Bible, we also see people who pick themselves up, who go to God and they fix it. I think of David, I think of others that did just that thing. The Bible illustrates a whole host of individuals who have failed in their attempt to please God, who have violated their very nature. However, the Bible is so full of individuals who rose above their failure to make an impact on the world around them. And we can do that as well. If we falter but respond properly, we can be a shining example to others around us. And I want you to notice what Jesus says. He says that they may see your good deeds... He doesn't say that they may hear your pious or churchy words. He doesn't say that they may agree with your doctrine. They may hear, they may hear all those things from you. They may, they may hear what you believe. They may even ask you what you believe and hear all those things. But what they can't ignore, hopefully, is the light that you shine. The way that your life points to Jesus and the kingdom. Because I am convinced that people must see Jesus displayed in us before they will really hear the truth of God's words coming from our mouths. I don't really go to the movies too often. Every now and then, Libby and I will make a trip and and pay the obscene amount of money. Not long ago, we were at the movies, and if you've been, you know, recently, even within the last probably five or ten years, you know that there is a message that pops up on the screen telling you to turn off your cell phone. It'll ask you not to be on your cell phone even during the, the movie. You can put your cell phone on silent, but it also says to not even have it out, basically. And why? Why is that? As long as it's on airplane mode or as long as it's on silent, why does it matter if you have it out? Well, because cell phones are bright. They light up the darkness. And the thing about a movie theater is you want everything dark except what's on the screen, right? The light contaminates what, what what is around it. It is toxic to the darkness, And you know, I think some Christians may feel this way about their own light. They keep their light really close in their pocket only to get it out when there's not much danger or any danger. They see the world as a no light zone, but Jesus says, no, 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 never, never hide your light. Never turn it off no matter how dark because light is supposed to be toxic to the darkness. Light is supposed to contaminate the darkness. That's the point, right? I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer stated. He said, 
Flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. There's no such thing as secret discipleship. There's no such thing as a disciple who has turned off his light. Bonhoeffer says, and I think he's right, if a Christian chooses to hide in obscurity, he's not really following Jesus. Discipleship must be visible and radiant. You remember the great blackout of 2003, the Northeast? I mean, that was a pretty devastating event, at least for, you know, a couple of days and maybe even weeks for some. But this was a widespread power outage that crippled the East Coast, and many folks were out of power, at least, like I said, for a couple of days, but even longer than that for some. Airports shut down, streetlights stopped working, computers went down, there was no self-service, there was no con- air conditioning. It was hot that day, it was 88 degrees when all this happened in New York City. But in the midst of this darkness... In the midst of all this darkness, when the grid basically just shut down, there was light. There was a Marriott hotel that stuck out like a sore thumb, or maybe I should say stuck out like a nightlight in a dark place. And this Marriott hotel had working televisions that were covering the outage. They had hot food that was being served. Their rooms were cool. And you think, how could there be this much light in the midst of so much darkness? How could something be so lit up when there's so much darkness surrounding it? And the answer is, of course, that when they built this Marriott Hotel, they included a gas generator so that whatever was going on outside didn't affect what was going on inside the hotel. In other words, the hotel had something built into it that helped transcend the darkness. That is us. As Christians, all of us are ministers in a dark place. All of us are shining our light in a world shrouded in darkness. And all of us have something built into us that transcends the darkness. We're not dependent on what's going on around us. The darkness doesn't change who we are. We change the darkness. We are the difference. Because like I said this morning, when light shines in the darkness, it immediately wins. I love you. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in. I know we're all dealing with some darkness right now with this coronavirus. I also know that that many of you have been dealing with darkness even before this and, and perhaps long after this. The world can be a tough place for some. There's death, there's destruction, there's devastation, there's depression. Our world can be a very dark place. And we have a couple of options here. We can either be a vampire and embrace the darkness, or we can light up the world with the radiance of Jesus. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day. We thank you for the opportunity that we can be together even when we can't be together. We thank you for the technology that allows us to to gather and to You'll still be the church, and we pray that we will continue to be the church and shine our light in a dark world, that we will go out this week and that we will, we will radiate, that we will be visible, and that we will show your glory to all we come in contact with. Help us, God, to be more like your son. We thank you so much for every rich and wonderful blessing, and it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.